Um, these next three uh, months are, are a little bit different. This is Ben's first week on sabbatical. And so I wanted to explain a little bit before we get started exactly what the sabbatical is. Um, a sabbatical has two main purposes. And online we have a constitution. And you can read through it and see all these details. And there's a lot of things in there, especially if you want to um, just kind of learn more about uh, kind of what our approach is here and what it is that we believe. Um, but the sabbatical is something that's been put in, in place and it has two purposes. The first purpose is rest and the second purpose is growth. And so as Ben's going to be gone for these next three months, it's going to be a little bit different. I'll be preaching today and then the elders will be um, taking like three or four weeks at a time through the uh, rest of the duration of the sabbatical. And I want everyone to know that the rest that we're talking about here is not idleness. Ben's not sitting at home eating bonbons, watching TV, and sleeping late for three months in hopes that it'll make him a better minister. What he is doing is he is uh, having a time of very focused uh, rest uh, where he's, uh, the first month he'll be traveling with his family and they're going, I think they've already seen Mount Rushmore. I mean, they just got in the car at like 3 a.m. Sunday and just took off. And so uh, I think they're cam- we can be praying for them. They're camping, I think, 20 out of the next 30 days in a tent. So Good way to rest, right? I don't know. Um, the second thing is growth. Uh, the, the other purpose of this is growth and that he would have time to, uh, to have lots of prayer and lots of meditation and just asking for God's, um, God's blessing to give him some insight into some direction that we can have opportunities in ministry uh, here at Crosspoint. And so normally every um, Sunday we pray for another church in the area and another pastor, but I thought it would be appropriate this Sunday to pray for Ben and his family while they're on sabbatical uh, for the next three months, and also pray for the other elders as they're preparing with their very busy jobs and very full schedules to also be uh, preaching in in that time. Before we pray, if you have your Bibles, open to Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, I want to read these verses because this gives us a real great starting point for our morning. We're going to be looking at God's design and God's big plan and what God has revealed to us about it. And this psalm will hopefully be our prayer, so I want to read it before we pray. In uh, Psalm 19, verse 7, it says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. A precept is a design that's been put in place that hopefully affects our behaviors and the way that we spend our time and our resources and the things we do. And so we're saying that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing our hearts. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. This morning, we're going to be looking at God's design for redemption. He has a big redemptive plan that's been taking place from the beginning of this whole thing. We're going to be looking at that. Hopefully, what we'll see in his design and his commands and his precepts is that we will see great value in them, more so than if someone gave us a big pile of gold, that we would value his design more, and that they would be sweet to us, sweeter than honey, not bitter and like a hard pill to swallow. And it says also that his design warns us 
and it warns us of things that are coming. And that's everything we're going to be looking at this morning. So y'all pray with me as we pray for Ben and his family, and then also pray through these verses. God, this morning we are completely dependent upon you. God, this is a room full of extremely needy people, people who need you. Uh, I believe that to be your design. And so we come before you in prayer, uh, letting our requests be made known, because you allow us to. God, we want to pray for Ben and his family while they're on sabbatical. Um, God, I'm thankful that every five years there's a scheduled uh, three-month period of time for rest and for growth. So while they're away as a family and traveling, I pray that it's a sweet time as a family. I'm praying that there's great rest in Christ. And I'm praying that you're giving him insight and wisdom into opportunities for growth in the ministry here at Crosspoint. God, this morning as we engage this word and we look at the ark and we look at Jesus and we look at uh, this beautiful plan that you have revealed to us, uh, my prayer is that as we hear your commandments and we hear your precepts and we hear your design and we hear your big plan, that we would value it and that we would not just hear it, but that it would be sweet to us and that we would desire it. God, we're thankful for it and knowing that it warns us of things to come and it keeps us uh, from foolish sin. So God, we are completely dependent upon you this morning. I pray that you would um, speak clearly through me. Uh, I pray that uh, as we open up the word, that you would just open our our minds and our hearts to engage this in the way that you would have us engage it this morning. God, we thank you for Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, open up to Genesis chapter 6. The love series is over, in case you were wondering. This is not the love series. We're kind of uh, moving on, we're going to be looking at Genesis 6. Um, and one thing that I want you all to know is all the sermons, all of the sermons that you've heard here on Sunday mornings are all online. So if you miss anything or if you're out of town or if you would like to hear something again or listen to it, they're all online. You guys can go and listen to them and, uh, and dig in. Hopefully that's a resource that's helping uh, for our growth. All right, in Genesis 6, uh, we're ta- the, the sermon title this morning is Jesus and the Ark. Jesus and the Ark. Um, the reason it is Jesus in the ark, not Noah in the ark, we're talking about Jesus in the ark this morning, we'll talk about Noah, but the main thing is Jesus, is that every page of our Bible is about Jesus. I believe that every single page in this Bible is about Jesus. It's either a tutor to help us better understand Jesus, it's either a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus, or it's just directly, specifically about Jesus. But when we gather here, it's all about Jesus. When we worship, it's all about Jesus. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the ark, and it's all about Jesus. Another thing I want to remind us of before we get going is this is not a fairy tale. When we begin to think of the story of the ark, we think of it, think of it as a uh, you know, faraway land long, long ago. There was an ark. And, and that's not what it is. This, was a, this is a very real account that God communicated through Moses. And it's the actual condition that the world came to as they continued to turn from God generation after generation. And we see God's plan for redemption in it. So this is not a fairy tale. This is very real, and it's all about Jesus. So if you'll look at Genesis 6, verse 7, or Genesis 6, verse 17, we're going to look at two verses to give us a real specific focus. And then we're going to look at a larger portion of verses to give us this context. 6.17 says this, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth. This is God speaking. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall, shall die. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you shall come into the ark. That's our focus this morning is the difference between being on the earth and the difference between being in the ark. 
Because there's a huge difference between the two. God's saying, I'm going to wipe out everything on the earth, but I'm making a covenant with you, and I'm bringing you in the ark. So I'm going to read verses 5 through 22 now, and as I read them, I encourage you to listen to them in hopes that they are a tutor to help us better understand Jesus and better understand what it means to be in Christ. That's going to be our big focus this morning. So let's look at verses 5 through 22. Verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I believe that this verse is probably one of the saddest ones in all of Scripture. This was the actual condition of the earth. Two things we need to draw from this is, one, God sees what's going on. God is not aloof. He's not disconnected. He's not a God who started something moving a long time ago, stepped away for a while to take a break, and someday he's going to come back and pay attention to it again. God is all about everything that's going on on the earth right now. He's not distant. He's not disconnected. It says it in verse 5, the Lord saw. Verse 8, in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 11, in God's sight. Verse 12, and God saw. God's repeating these things. When things are repeated in Scripture, it's kind of like God saying, hey, you better pay attention to this. I see what's going on. And what he saw was heartbreaking. He saw that the intention of the, heart of every, of the thought of every heart of every man was only evil all the time. That's really bad. That's really bad. It wasn't that he just looked down and saw that men and women were doing bad things on the earth, but it says not even a good intention could be found. Not even a good intention. So not only were their actions bad, but every motive of their heart, every intention of every thought of every heart was only evil all the time. This is very bad. Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless, not sinless, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. You can imagine if every intention of every thought was only evil all the time, that it was pretty violent. It was filled with violence. Um, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. Pitch is kind of like tar. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with a lower deck, a second deck, and a third deck. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, Noah, your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. Listen to the details. They should be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. I hope we can 
I mean, it's a pretty heavy way to start this morning off. This is a horrible condition of the earth. And you can imagine what Noah was feeling as he's hearing God, the Creator God, communicate this to him and saying, this is my plan. You can almost imagine him just trembling as God saying, I'm going to wipe out the earth. Every intention is only evil. And you can imagine this relief when God said, I'm making a covenant with you. I want you all to picture this. This really happened. Noah actually built it to those specific um, designs by God. And he actually got the animals and he actually did this. So here's what we have. As the earth progressed for about a thousand years, a little over a thousand years, the people have grown further and further and further from God until we see that their intentions were only evil continually. So we're going to focus on two things this morning. The two things we're going to focus on are this. The people of God are always about God's plan because one, God has given us the ability to see the big picture, and two, God has given us the ability to see the details. Let's hear that again. As Noah was about God's plan, he did all that God commanded him. What we're going to be looking at this morning is the people of God here are all about God's plan all the time because God has given us the ability to see the big picture and God has given us the ability to see all the details. Not all the details, lots of the details. It'd be nice if we could see all the details, wouldn't it? Wouldn't have to do that whole faith thing. All right, so let's look at the big picture. Here's the big picture. This is the big picture. This is God's big plan for redemption. And what I want us to remember as we're talking about the big picture is that God's all about his glory. This is all about God's glory. So as we talk about redemption, we talk about grace, we talk about drawing people out of evil, I want you all to keep in mind God's glory because that's what God is about. He's about his glory. So his plan from the beginning was he did this. He created men and women, which we can relate. It was a room full of men and women. Men and women were created as image bearers of God. And he called those image bearers, those that he gave his image to, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God's design is I'm going to make men and women in my image and I'm going to fill the earth with my glory by creating them in my image and calling them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and by doing so, filling the earth with the glory of God. Does that make sense? This is a real big picture. Just take the bird's eye view, big picture. Here's what happened. Rather than representing the image of God and filling the earth with his glory, humanity has turned from the creator to the creature and sought to make their own name great. So what we have to ask is, did the plan fail? Did God mess up here? Did he have a really bad day? And all of a sudden, everyone's doing things against his will and God's big plan was thwarted by our sinfulness? No, that's not what happened. Turn to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, verse 9, is beautiful. Because as I'm looking at this situation, I'm thinking, this is a pretty desperate situation. God has this big plan and this design to create men and women in his image and fill the earth with his glory. And all they did was turn from God and focus on the creature. So did God's plan get thrown out of whack? Did God get trumped by man's sinfulness? And Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10, gives us the most clear answer that I can find in all of Scripture. And God says this, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. So as we see this desperate situation of a world just filled with total wickedness and a total lack of, God, of uh, reverence for God's design, what we hear God saying is, no, 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 
Your sin does not trump my plan. I am God. And my purposes will be accomplished. There's a connection here to that Psalm 19 thing we read earlier. The commands and the precepts and the design of the Lord. How they're rich and they're better than a big pile of gold. Because what God's saying is you can, you can put together your biggest pile of gold you want. But my plan will stand. We should value God's plan. We should see God's plan and say, okay, whatever the plan is, I'm going to do it because I believe what he says when he says, I am God and I will accomplish all my purposes. Your sin and your other plans, your other designs outside of God's plan do not trump God's plan. It's his plan and it has been from the beginning. He will accomplish all of his purpose. Enter Noah. Here's Noah. Noah's an interesting character, especially if you read on into after the flood. Um, He... Bad decisions. Um, but here's what happens with Noah. Enter Noah. He's drawn out of evil. What I want us to see about Noah is this. If you go ahead and turn back to that Genesis 6 so we can be reading together. What I want us to see about Noah is this. Noah was drawn out of evil. Noah did not earn favor in God's eyes. He found favor in God's eyes. There's a big difference between those two. What we're seeing here is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of God's grace. Noah found favor in God's eyes. He did not earn it. If you find a $100 bill on the ground, you found it. You didn't earn it. It's very beneficial to you, but you didn't earn it. You just found it. What we see here is that because of God's grace, Noah found favor. He did not earn it. I mean, consider Noah's response. Can you imagine? Okay, first of all, he's hearing from God. (laughs) He's hearing this. This is happening. This is being communicated to Noah by God. And so consider Noah hearing God say, the breath that this wicked world is breathing is a borrowed breath, and I'm taking it back. See, I breathed my breath into them, and the breath of life that this world has is borrowed, and they've turned to the creature. They've turned from the creator. They're seeking to make their own name great. And you know what? That's a borrowed breath. And Noah, I want you to know I'm taking it back. Because when I look down, what I see is that everyone is only evil all the time, even their thoughts, even their intentions. That's what I'm doing. Can you imagine how Noah must have been trembling? Thinking, oh man, he knew everything I thought today. Oh man, he knew every, every plan that I've ever made that's selfish or arrogant. See, Noah, God didn't look down and say, oh Noah, it's a wicked generation and you're sitting there worshiping and praying. No, that's not what Noah was. Noah was a part of the wickedness. And God redeemed him and drew him out like he's done each of us. See, we don't get our stuff together and say, okay God, I'm ready. And God's like, oh beautiful, come on, come on down. That's not what God says. God redeems us out of wickedness. He pulls us from our wicked ways. He pulls us out of our sinfulness, and he gives us grace, and he gives us mercy, and there's renewal, and he uses us for his glory. So you can consider Noah's response here. We have this big picture of grace. So here's the big picture that God's sharing. Remember, we're looking at a big picture, and we're looking at details. Here's the big picture that God is sharing with Noah. The only way to life is in the ark. Noah, this is really important. The only way to life is in the ark. Let me say it another way. If you're not in the ark, you're dead. (laughs) Pay attention to the details here, Noah. If you're not in the ark, you're dead. And here's the thing. There will be mocking. There will be those. uh, Most people believe that theologians, scholars, commentators, historians, there was a period of 100 years where the ark was being built. No more than 100 years, right around 100 years. So this, this ark thing wasn't like, hey guys, you got a weekend off, let's build the ark. No, this took place over years and years and years and years. 
We know that about 1,056 years into creation is when Noah was born and he was going to give people relief. And about 500 years into Noah's life, Shem, Ham, and Japheth were born. And 1,656 years into creation is when the flood came. So there was about 100 years where he could be building that ark with his boys. And I'm guessing that once God shared the plan, they didn't put it off until year 99. So we better get the ark built. So, so there would be those who are building the ark. They're, they're Shem, Ham, Japheth, and Noah and their families, and they're building the ark. And there would be those, inevitably, who would mock Noah, right? I mean, there hasn't been rain, and this thing is a monstrosity. It's not like he's doing something private in his backyard. It's huge. And there'd be people who would mock. I'm amazed that the ark even made it to the flood. That, I mean, if every intention was only evil all the time, it's amazing no one burned it. Especially when they covered it in tar. That's amazing to me. That's a picture of God's grace and his deliverance because he keeps his plan. But there would be those who would mock Noah. But that does not change the final truth that if you are not in the ark, you are dead. It doesn't change it. Great. He got mocked. If you're not in the ark, you're dead. It's not enough for it to be a good idea. I, I don't think this actually happened if every intention was only evil all the time. But for the sake of an example, let's consider that someone walked by and said, Oh, hey, that's a good idea. Big boat. It's good to have a big boat. Can't be a bad thing, right? It's not enough for it to be a good idea. If you're not in the ark, you're dead. There may be those who would walk by and say, Oh, Noah can believe that. He can believe in his ark. I, I have my beliefs. He has his beliefs. In fact, I think I'll build my own boat and I'll just build it bigger. It's not enough for you to think something is a good idea and do your own spin on it. God's plan, if you're not in the ark, you're dead. That's God's plan. It doesn't change. And look at God's grace, how it enables Noah to do just something unbelievable in the midst of a really crooked and wicked generation. Because of God's grace, look at how Noah responded in 6.22. What does it say? Noah did this. He actually built this monstrosity. He endured the mocking. He endured the time that it took with his bonehead sons building this thing. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. In 7.5, it says it again, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. See, what this is, is it's a picture of obedience and diligence. See, Noah didn't just do the part of God's plan that he liked. You can, you can imagine Noah, okay, God, I'm going to build the big boat, but the rooms? Uh-uh, no way. And that's some good handiwork there on my ark. I'm not covering it in pitch. It's, it's not as pretty if you cover it in pitch. You can hear, you could consider. Noah may have said, oh, well, I'll do what I like about your plan, but I'm not going to do all of it. No. Noah did all that God commanded. He didn't just take the things that he liked or the things that he could remember. Sometimes we, uh, one of the things we need to remember is don't blame faithlessness on forgetfulness. God shares a lot of details with us. I used to do, when I was younger, I used to do this a lot with my tithe. Oh, it's not faithlessness. I just forgot. Checkbook's in the car. Oh, well. Go out to eat more this week. Faithlessness cannot be blamed on forgetfulness. And so Noah was obedient and Noah was diligent. Noah was obedient to do all that God commanded. He was diligent to pay attention to the details and remember everything. You can imagine, I mean, if he's, God says, take all these animals on the ark, Noah would be like, well, that one stinks. I'm not taking that stinky animal on the ark. There's no telling how long I'm going to be on that. I don't want to smell that thing. I'll do my own thing. I'll pick the animals that smell sweet, like flowers, and then we'll get on the ark. God, I mean, he could have done a number of things to sidestep obedience or sidestep diligence, but he didn't. It says he did all that God commanded him. And in verse 11, the flood comes, and God's promise is fulfilled. 
That's the thing about God's promises is that they're always fulfilled. The, the video that you saw about the summer club, the summer family clubs, one of the big points is that the men of the world, those who are building their own name great, like Pharaoh, they don't ever keep their promises. We see in the Exodus that Pharaoh breaks his promise again and again and again and again, but who keeps their promises? God. He always keeps his promises, and that's what happens in verse 11. It's a big deal. The flood comes, and God's promise is fulfilled. See, God's grace enabled Noah to persevere for at least 100 years of ark building, having never seen rain, because God's grace shows us a big picture. So what I want us to see is that if there was not a vision of the big picture, how easy would it have been for Noah to just skip out 50 years into it? I mean, really. They got a big pile of wood, they're 50 years into it, and he's like, all right, enough is enough. It's not going to rain. There's not going to be a flood. If he didn't have a vision of this big picture that God's grace enabled him to see, man, he would skip out at any point. I'll tell you uh, that if I don't believe Jesus is really coming back one day, I don't make it another week in ministry. If I don't really believe Jesus is coming back one day, there's no perseverance. What's the point in patience if Jesus is never coming back? What's the point in kindness if Jesus is never coming back? What's the point in um, enduring hostility from those who think you're a fool? if Jesus is not coming back. See, having a vision of this big picture helps us to endure. This last point about this big picture is this. Noah understood it was about more than just himself. See, this wasn't just works. If the, if the point of the story was, Noah, build a boat, get in it, and you live, then that's just works. But we know it from Hebrews 11 that it says Noah had faith. And by faith, Noah condemned the world. And by faith, um, it says he had reverent fear, and he became an heir of righteousness. See, Noah didn't just have a little line that said, build art, get in, or die, and he put a check in the box. That's works. Noah believed God, and he had faith. And that's a faith that's generational. It's a faith that he saw a big picture that it's about more than just Noah living through the flood. It's about God's plan and God's design to fill the earth with his glory continuing. And so he endures, and he sees a picture. I, I'm hoping, maybe, I, I mean, this is an interjection on my behalf, but maybe Noah considered five generations, six generations, ten generations down the road, the faith of those children, and that affect the way that he spoke to Shem, Ham, and Japheth and his wife. So that's the big picture. Let's look at the details. God includes details. God did not say, hey, Noah, how's it going? I'm wiping everybody out. Need you to build a boat, a big one, big enough to hold a lot of animals. Good luck, see you in 100 years. That's not what God said. God included lots of details. God was in, uh, specific down to the last inch. Look at verses 14 through 16. He says, Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. I don't know what a gopher tree is. But it says gopher wood. There's gopher forest somewhere. I don't know. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. He tells him what kind of wood to use on the ark. He doesn't say, hey, just whatever. That's fine. He says, use gopher wood. Make, your, make rooms in the ark. Don't just make a big boat that's open. You've got to make rooms in the ark, Noah. Cover it inside, not with pitch. So after this monstrosity is built, you've got to cover the inside and the outside with pitch. This is how you were to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. A cubit's about 18 inches. So God included the details down to the last inch. Make the length 300 cubits. Make the breadth 50 cubits. Make the height 30 cubits. And make a roof for the ark. 
Finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Don't put it on the outside. Put it in its side so that when I come and I shut that door, it works the way that I designed according to my plan. And then once that's done, what I want you to do is bring all these animals in, of the birds according to their kinds, the animals according to their kinds, every creeping thing according to its kind, two of every sort, male and female. God includes lots of details in his plan for redemption. He doesn't say, hey, Noah, good luck, wing it, see you in 100 years. He includes details in this. There's a point when the ark was finished that Noah kind of had to do that thing where you walk around and kick the tires. You know when you buy a used car? You know that thing that you do to act like you know what you're doing? And you walk around, you kind of kick the tires, you're like, hey, you pop the hood, and you look under the hood, and you don't really know what's going on, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, the roto-inverter looks good, all right, it's healthy. And then at some point when you're doing the, uh, the, the whole thing with the, with the used car, you, you're either in or you're out, right? Noah kind of had to do the same thing with the ark. It's done. He's looking at it. It's huge. He has to say, is it going to float? Do I trust this big old thing? to keep my family safe, to deliver us from God's judgment on the world? Is this going to work? And he had to be either in or out. Because if he was on the earth, what happened? He's wiped away in the flood. But if he's in the ark, that's part of God's covenant, God's plan for redemption. So at some point, he kind of had to kick the tires on the ark. He didn't really have tires. They're proverbial tires. Um, he had to kind of kick those tires, and he said, look, I'm in. Why, why would he say that he's in? Because it's God's plan. He had to have faith in God. He had to believe that God's plan would work. So he had to be all in, or not. And verse 18, I love verse 18. This is probably one of my favorite parts of this whole thing. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. God does not say, Noah, I've got some really big plans for you. Abandon your wife, write off your kids, because this is really big. God doesn't say that. Interestingly, the world does say that in many, many ways. It, it can happen in a job. I got big plans for you. You're going to be big in this company. You're going to move up. You're going to make lots of money. You're going to have lots of power, and people are going to look up to you. And we'll try and schedule some time for you to see your wife and kids. That's, that's a lie that the world tells us. You'll be bigger. You'll be better. This, these things can work out, but ditch the wife and kids. To an extent, we're not going to actually say that because that would be rude, but that's what we're going to expect. That's not God's plan. God's plan for redemption is a family thing. This is a very important detail. Think about what it meant for Noah to lead his family. God's plan for redemption is a family thing. That doesn't mean that if you're a believer, then all your family is going to be, a believers, be believers automatically. That's not what it means. But it does mean that if you're a part of a family, when God calls you to life in Christ, that better affect every, the way that you communicate with your family. Consider it for Noah. Again, this is a tutor that leads us to better understand Jesus. Consider it for Noah. What would Noah have to do? This is a big plan that God's called Noah and his family to, so what does Noah have to do? One, he has to communicate with his wife, right? Can you imagine 50 years into it if Mrs. Noah is like, honey, what do you have against the gophers and why are you cutting all their trees down? What's the deal? What do you do? Honey, what's the pile of wood for? Can you imagine if Noah's like, zip it, woman, it's between me and God, it's a big deal. No. That's not what God called Noah to. Here's what would have to happen. Noah would have to sit down with his wife and say, Honey, this is what God revealed to me. The breath of life that is in every, everything on earth that has breath is borrowed. God is not pleased with what the earth has done with it. Humanity has turned from God, honey. And what God's going to do is he's going to judge the world. And honey, I, I don't even know how to explain it, but God has extended grace to our family. 
And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do exactly what God said. We're going to do exactly what God's plan is. God's plan for redemption is this big, ugly ark, and we're going to be wholehearted about it. It's, it's not going to be a timely thing. It's going to take a long time to build. I got Shem, Ham, and Japheth helping. Ham's a bonehead. But honey, we're going to be about this. And then he had to communicate with his kids. He had to communicate with his boys. Shem, Ham, Japheth, this is what we're going to do. I'm sure that in the course of 100 years, the words, no Ham, 16 inches won't do. 18 is what God's plan was. Ham, leave the oak trees alone. We're only using gopher trees. How many times do I have to tell you? He had to communicate with his boys. It took great patience. And he had to be specific about it. What he probably would have said is, Ham, I'm picking on Ham because he's a bonehead. You see that in the next chapters. Ham, this is God's plan. If this was my plan, maybe I would allow you to alter it. But it's not my plan. This is God's plan for redemption. Ham, if this was your plan, you could do whatever you want. You could build your own little lifeboat or whatever. But it's not your plan. This is God's plan. And so here's what I need us to do. Let's stay focused and let's be about every detail that God shared with us. Our family as a whole is about the ark now. This is God's plan for redemption. And so my hope, boys, is that we can focus enough to continue and persevere to the end. Because I believe God will keep his promises. He had to communicate with his wife. He had to communicate with his kids. And it took a lot of patience. We know it took patience because he put him on a boat with his in-laws for a year, and that would take patience. Except for my in-laws, I love them. If they're going to listen to this online, I would love to be on a boat for a year with you. So here's our transition. Man, they record everything. You've got to be careful. Here's our transition. What does it all have to do with Jesus? We have the big picture. We have the details. What does all this have to do with Jesus? Remember, we started this whole thing off saying, this Bible, every page of it is about Jesus. So what does all this have to do with Jesus? Well, here's the big picture that God's telling us. God is redeeming a people out of this world for his glory. God's still about his glory. His plan for redemption, everybody's evil. I'm going to draw them out. I'm going to draw my children out, and I'm going to make them about my glory. They're going to be image bearers. God's plan for redemption is drawing people out of evil, giving them grace so that they might be about his glory. In Revelation 18, at the end of all this, when all this goes away, which we'll talk about how it goes away in a minute, God says, come out of her, my people. You hear these words from God, come out of her, my people. That's not your home. You're coming home now, come out. God's redeeming a people for his glory, still for us today. So for us, what does it mean? It's not about building up riches on the earth. It's about storing up treasure in heaven. It's not about worshiping the creature. It's about worshiping the creator God who was so quickly forgotten early on in the process. And it's not about making our name great. It's about making God's name great. That's not, we're not here to make our own names great. We're here to proclaim, proclaim the great name of God, the creator who's over all this. And we're putting his glory on display in every part of our lives. Turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, verses 5 through 7. This is really important. 2 Peter 3, verses 5 through 7 says this. It says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact. They are those who are the scoffers. You may have encountered these people at some point in time who say, You know what? Jesus is not coming back. Why are you weird Christian people getting so worked up? He's not coming back. It's been going on for a long time now, and it's not going to happen. They're scoffers. They're scoffing. They're mocking. They're making fun of you. You may have encountered people like this. 
And it says, for they deliberately overlook what? An idea? A thought? No, a fact. This is a fact. This is from the mouth of God. This is a fact. They overlook this fact. The heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. God's saying, hey, chalk it up as a fact. There was a flood. Chalk it up as a fact, and chalk this next thing up as a fact too. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Hello. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Fact. Why? Because he's God. There's no other God. There's no one like him. And his purposes will be accomplished. They will stand. So what that means then for Noah is this. If you're not on the ark, you're dead in the flood. That's what he was saying to Noah and his plan for redemption. What he's saying to us is if you're not in Christ, you're dead in the fire. And this death is an eternal death and separation from God. So the importance of being in Christ has current and eternal significance. Hear that. God's saying that as a fact. Jesus is coming back. He promised he wouldn't flood it again, so he's not going to flood it again. The means will not be water, it will be fire. That's what it says right there in 2 Peter. So that's a big picture. Now let's look at the details. It's a family thing, and that affects everything. That's some of the details that are shared with us today. It's a family thing, and it affects everything. And if you're in a family, you need to be all about God all the time and communicating that to your kids and to your wife and to your husband and to cousins who come to visit and grandparents who have maybe heard it a million times. Talk about Jesus. Be about God's plan for redemption all the time. It's a family thing that affects everything. This is what you're about now. That's what God's saying. See, God said to Noah, he said, Noah, Noah's wife, this is what you're about. Shem, Shem's wife, Ham, Ham's wife, Japheth. Japheth's wife. This is what you're about now, and it affects everything. You're about the ark, and it will affect everything else. So what God's saying to us is you are in Christ. Christ is my plan for redemption. You are about Christ now, and it will affect everything. You can't have your Christ part of your life over here and work and everything else over here. You're about Christ. You're in Christ. It affects everything. Here's an example. You can and you should have a job. You can and you should have a job. But you're all about what God's saying is you're all about my redemptive plan in Christ now. So if that job makes it so that you can't see the big picture or so that you are unable to pay attention to the details, then you're not about that job. You're in Christ. That's what God's saying. You're in Christ. It affects everything. So, yeah, get a job. But if that job makes it so you abandon the big picture and you abandon the details, you're not about that job. You're in Christ. Now, I want to be real careful about this because I don't want to present it in a way that makes it sound like, well, we can't have serious jobs because this is a pretty big calling. No. Some of the most God-fearing men that I know are engineers and accountants and lawyers even, doctors. And they have very, very heavy, tedious jobs. But that does not keep them from paying attention to God's big picture. That does not keep them from paying attention to the details that God includes. They take it to work with them. It affects the way they function. It's not something that's separate. I've always wondered how a mathematician could be a Christian. Math blows my mind. I hate it. Love English, hate math. And I just think, oh, there's all these formulas and all these numbers. How could, you, how could you possibly be all about God and have to remember all that junk? God's grace is bigger than that. God's grace enables us to do things far, far, far outside of our abilities otherwise. 
You can and you should have friends. You can and you should have friends. But you are in Christ, and if those friends are leading you away from the big picture and the details, then you're not about those friends anymore. You are in Christ. Does that mean you can't have any difficult friends? No. God's grace is bigger than that. I've got friends who are insane. They're lunatics. And God's grace is bigger than that. And God's grace says, no, you, you, you don't become about that and, and lose sight of the details in the big picture. Consider if Noah would have gotten distracted. Could you imagine God looking down 99 years into it and saying, Noah, I see a big pile of wood. Where's the ark? Can you imagine if Noah said, oh, um, that. Uh, Shem and Japheth are busy. Ham's got some junk going on. I think he's got issues. And so you see the big pile of wood, but God, did you see the house? It's big and beautiful. I worked really hard on that, God. Did you see it? And God says, you're about the ark. Why is there a pile of wood there? Did you see that? Can you imagine if you would have been distracted? We wouldn't be sitting here. I believe we would. I believe God would have found someone else. But he wasn't distracted. He did all that God commanded him. So what I'm hoping you see is that it's not just about what you do. It is about who we are. We are new creations in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. And as new creations, our essence changes. The very essence of our being changes. So who we are affects what we do. Will affect what we do. And in fact, it should affect everything that we do. It shouldn't be a disconnected thing. I got my Jesus category over here. So consider the big picture. We're talking about the details, but I want us to consider the big picture and the details. And go with me on this, because this is weird, and I hope it works out. There's a big picture. If you take a lot of details and add it to a big picture, sometimes the big picture changes, right? If you have a big picture, you take a lot of details and add it to the big picture, maybe the big picture changes. Here's what I want us to understand. The big picture is not ours to add our new details to. The big picture of God's redemptive plan in all of history is not our big picture to add our new details to to try and change the big picture. Example, imagine you're at a big museum or art studio or whatever, and there's a big painting on the wall of a meadow. It's a meadow, right? You can see it. You can kind of see what that would look like. The painting is titled Meadow, and it's a picture of a meadow. That's what the big picture's about, right? If I take my little paintbrush and I draw a thousand bunny rabbits in the picture, now it's about bunny rabbits, not the meadow, right? It changes. If I try and add my details and I put a thousand bunny rabbits in it and I step back, it's no longer a picture of a meadow. It's, why do we have a painting in an art gallery with a thousand bunny rabbits? That's odd. Or I paint a hunter in there. There's a hunter and he's, he's rearing down on something and he's got this big old rifle. Then it's a painting about hunting, not a meadow. If I paint the boy's son next to him or daughter, then it's about fatherhood and heritage and that's what the painting's about. It's not necessarily about the meadow. Here's what I want us to see. No matter how bad we want our new details to change the big picture, they don't. As a child of God, everything that you are about has to do with God's redemptive plan because it's all about his glory. His redemptive plan is in Christ. As your life progresses in the world, you will come across new jobs. You may move to a new state. You will be found in new surroundings. You will come across new social structures. You will engage many different people who are about many different things, some good, some bad. Your, your conditions will change. I moved to Greenville five years ago. Everything changed. It's very different from North Dallas. But as we run across people, that doesn't change our big picture just because of these different scenarios. 
What I mean is that you may run across a group of people who become your friends and they're all about getting a big house and making it just right. We have TV shows about this now on DIY and HGTV. I watch them sometimes. I do a lot of work on my house. It needs it. And the big picture can become about getting a big house and making it just what you want it to be. That's not the big picture, just because you have some new details. You might come across people who are all about acquiring a lot of land, and you think, well, big picture, I need to get a lot of land. And so it affects your resources, it affects how you use your time, and you think, oh, okay, that's the big picture for me. That's not the big picture. It can be anything. I mean, there's a laundry list. It could be big business. That's my life. I'm about big business. Popularity. Hunting. I know guys who've never hunted a day in their life. They get a new group of friends who go hunting all the time, and now life is hunting. They go hunting all the time. They have a cool little picture of a skull with antlers and such on the backs of their trucks, and they've been hunting for five months, and, and that's all that they're about. That happens a lot. It happens with fishing. It happens with Tupperware. <laughs> Boy Scouts. Girl Scouts. Modeling, old cars, big trucks, big Jeeps, world peace, abortion issues. See, all these things aren't necessarily bad, but they're not the big picture. The only way that you're ever going to do the right thing in the way of trying to work towards some kind of peace or work towards making sure people understand um, abortion rights and abortion issues and all these different things and the, and the unborn child and all these things. You can't do that if that's the big picture. The big picture is redemption in Christ. And if we see that big picture and we don't take our details and try to change it, we can deal with those things accordingly. But they're not the big picture. And those aren't God's details. In Isaiah 46, we need to be reminded, God says, I am God and I will accomplish all my purpose. So don't try and take your new details and change the big picture because it's not yours to change. Pay attention to God's details, God's big picture. For those who are in Christ, God includes many details about your new life. Every detail has to do with Jesus, and every detail is very carefully outlined in this book. This is why it's such an important time when we gather here to engage the Word because we're being equipped for the work of ministry. That's what's happening. As a big group, we're being equipped for the work of ministry. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ is God's plan, it's God's commandment, it's God's law, it's God's precept, and it's God's way. And it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There is no wisdom in disengaging this word. This is where the big picture and the details are found. Our details cause us to disengage this word. And there is absolutely zero wisdom in disengaging this word. And there's also absolutely zero wisdom in disengaging the people that God's redeeming out of the world. The church is not a country club that we're just, please come. That's not what we're trying to do. The church is the people that God is redeeming out of the world for his glory. It's known as the bride of Christ because we'll be united one day with Christ in heaven with God when God says, come out of her, my people. That's the big picture. So there's no wisdom in disengaging the word and there's no wisdom in disengaging the people who God is redeeming out of the world for his glory. I see it a lot. People get a new job and they disengage both things. They get a new group of friends, start a new band, whatever. And they just disengage from the word and from the people of God and it makes no sense. There's no wisdom in that. A man once told me, a close friend of mine once told me, that in order to be a Christian, he had to check his brain at the door and follow like a blind fool. 
He believed that in order to follow Christ, he had to just check his brain at the door and follow like a blind fool. But this is not what Noah did for 100 years. That's not at all what Noah did. Noah did not become more foolish. By God's grace, Noah became more obedient. By God's grace, Noah became more diligent. When God calls us to life in Christ, he does not call us to check our brains at the door. He calls us to set our minds on his eternal plan and value it more than the biggest pile of gold you can imagine. He calls us to see it as something that's sweet and not bitter and cumbersome. He doesn't call us to check our brain at the door. He calls us to set our minds on his eternal plan and he calls us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We are blind fools. Every one of us in this room. We are blind fools. But in Christ... God offers a new ability to see the big picture of his plan for redemption and to see the details of life in Christ so that we may indeed put his glory on display with every word, with every action, with every intention, and every thought. There's no way for us to do that outside of Christ. There's no winging it. For the people of God, we don't just wing it. We don't just hope for the best, close our eyes, cross our fingers. God includes a big picture. He includes details. There's no winging it. There's no guessing. There's faith in Christ. It changes who you are. Pray with me. God, your ways are so much higher than our ways. God, when we try to come up with a plan on our own, there's a reason that we fail and fall on our faces every time. It's because you're God and there's none like you. You're King of kings and you're Lord of lords and you are the creator of all things created. Nothing exists outside of that which you cause to exist. And the breath of life that exists in this room is a borrowed breath. And I pray that we would use it for your glory. I pray that we would be about the big picture of redemption in Christ. And I pray that that would affect our jobs, affect our families, affect our social structures and our friends. I pray it would affect everything we do because it changes who we are. I pray that we would see that big picture clearly. I pray against Satan because I know that your word says his aim is to blind the minds of the unbelievers from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We desire to see Jesus. We desire to see clearly your plan. So we're looking for the details and we gather here to do that. We continue to persevere to the end because we know that Jesus is coming back one day. God, I pray that if there's any person in this room who maybe they're hearing for the first time that Jesus is actually coming back and they see that it's God who spoke those words, I pray that they would believe wholeheartedly, put their entire faith in you. For those who are believers in this room, who have been walking maybe for years, I pray that if any of us have turned from the big picture and tried to add our own details to change the big picture, I pray that we would just be clearly reminded today that the big picture is not ours to change. God, we are about your plan. I pray that we would be like Noah, sitting and talking with his wife and his children and being patient, and clearly communicating again, and again, and again, that we're doing what you've called us to do. We're not making it up as we go. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for redemption. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.